together for the football tonight? Anyone or no one? Who goes? Do, you, do we have any Roosters supporters? No. Do we have any Storm supporters? My father-in-law is a Storm supporter too. There you go. You guys could be good friends. <laughs> Should be a good game. Who's what? Who's the biggest cheat? Mm. Um... How's everyone going today? Good. I was telling the team at our pre-service prayer this morning, uh, we hopped in the car to come to church, as you do, and my second son, he's always just so full of encouragement, said, Mum, when did you last have a shower? I'm like, yesterday? And he's like, you smell a bit. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you smell like egg. I was like, really? Do I smell? And then Josh is like, you do know he was joking. I was like, no, I, I take everything literally. Anyway, so does anyone else's kids just come out with like such encouraging things like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they say it as it is. Anyway, I've got cheeky boys. So in a moment, we're going to get dad up and um, we're really excited about that. I just wanted to give a few minutes for the kids to go out and for people to come back in because we do have a bit of an announcement, which some of you might have heard at our REACH um, leadership day that we had up in Kalbara a month or two ago. Mum and Dad have actually come to, I guess, a season of shift in their ministry in Sydney, and Dad's going to explain a bit more about that and what that looks like um, from their end. But I just wanted to say, I guess, from our perspective as a church, is what that means is that Mum and Dad are going to be here more regularly and that they're going to be planted here in Ulladulla. How amazing is that? Like, thank God for that. What a blessing. And so, yeah, this will be Mark and Liz, our network leaders, and also my parents' home church, which is awesome. And they'll still be traveling around the network and ministering into the other network churches. And we are just really excited for what that looks like for us, for them, for our movement. It feels like the beginning of a significant and new season. And I just think there's life all over it. So Josh and I just wanted to say that we're excited about that. Dad will put some more words to it. So let's give him a hand as he comes. And, you know... The apostolic anointing on these guys' life is always such a blessing and a strength to this house. I know this morning that it's going to really equip us as Dad brings the word. And yeah, open up our hearts and let's be expectant. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, um, it's nice nice to be back. Um, I'll just ask Shane a very important question because we had one of our grandsons just projection vomited everywhere. So that was really exciting. Um, What would you prefer, to have to clean up a vomit or a diarrhea? Hands up for vomit. Who do you pre- who prefer vomit? Who prefer diarrhea? Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm with I'm I'm on I'm the diarrhea front. So anyway, so that's 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 me. Hey, um. So <laughs> so we um like like Sarah mentioned, we're excited for the new season of life for us. We um we came to a point in Sydney. Uh, we'd been there five years, and we um and we were sent from here five years ago, and we. Um, came to a point probably early this year where we started to ask God, uh, what, what are you saying? Um, do we keep going at this thing? Um, the church hadn't grown and we were just doing a lot of work and there was nothing really flourishing. And um, we got to the point where both Liz and I settled it and said, yeah, God, we're happy to keep going for another you know, couple of years, was our sense. And then, um, and then we got to, I went to Shout Conference in New Zealand in July and um, the funny, the other key couple with us are Tom and Claire Young. I think you met Tom on the, um, the Father's Day panel. He's a great couple, great guy. So they've been standing with us, you know, week after week for the last five years. And they were in shout as well. And um, 
they were waiting to hear from God as well about their future. And um, so they got back from Shout and we called, they called us over to their place and we sat down together to have this meeting about their future. We knew, because when we were in um, Shout, God spoke to us and sort of said, I think you're released. I want, God really, we really felt God saying up two things to focus on the areas we really know we're fruitful. The first one of those is the network of churches that we look after. And um, so we were just stoked, because that's suffered a little bit because we've been so tied into Sydney for so long. And the second thing is we've got, like, I don't know, our kids have got rabbit genes. They just pop out babies. There's been six grandkids in the last three years and there's nine altogether. And that becomes a pretty big thing when they're all so dysfunctional to actually have to look after them. <laughs> and it's a delight to have our... But we really felt that it's actually a season for family and it's also a season for just focusing and building Reach Australia, planting new churches, those things that have been in our heart those of you that have known us for a long time. So we got to Tom and Claire's house and said, guys, what do you, um, what do you think God's saying? <laughs> and they said, we really feel we're committed to you guys. We want to keep going at this thing. And we said, that's great. We think we're done. And so there was this really, really awkward moment where it was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, but as, as we talked it through, and this is the cool part about it, what God was really saying to them which is what Liz and I felt as well, is that even if there's no structure and no formality attached to it, when God connects hearts, they stay connected. And so for us and Tom and Claire, they're family to us and we're going to stay connected with them. And anyone else in Sydney who wants to meet as relationally connected people, but there ain't no church title, there ain't any of that stuff. Um, and so that's, that's sort of our future. And I think probably what was happening for us is we realised that we were working really, really hard, as were Tom and Claire and a couple of other families. But Sydney has a lot of pressures on it. There's so many things that scream really loud, so many priorities, so many parties, so many activities, so many things. And unless you have a group of people who really want to see the kingdom of God come first and foremost, it's really easy to sort of drift and get sort of caught up in a whole bunch of other things. And I think what we were finding, we were burning out, getting really tired, as were Tom and Claire doing some stuff that probably, unless we all carried it together, we weren't able to go ahead. And so there was a couple of little tests near the end of it where we, you know, let's go ahead together. And people said, yeah, we're there. And then next week, no, they weren't. And so we thought, okay, I, 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 I think we're done. Funnily enough, and um, funnily enough, God spoke one thing to Liz and I very clearly about what he was doing in us in Sydney, and that's happened. God spoke one thing very early days to me about what was going to happen in the church, and that happened as well. And I think, um, you know, you'll see more of Tom and Claire down here as well. And um, it's great having Shane and Whitney who sort of briefly passed through our church. And now they're down here as well. And Rachel and Marty who also actually passed through church in Sydney came, ended up down here. So there's some really cool things that have happened. But it's a bit of a change and a shift for us. But for here, we're just excited to work with these guys. Um, whatever they tell us to do, we'll do within reason. Um, um, and just... We, um, we just think it's a key time for this group of people here. You've really found a mojo and a sense of where God's taking you and we just want to come along behind you guys and help with that in whatever way we can. Join the vision that these guys have been so brilliantly sharing and just add our little bit of strength to that in the future. So practically, we'll be here one or two weeks a month um, and the rest of the time we'll be travelling throughout New South Wales doing network stuff or occasionally, hopefully, having a week off. And the... Um, last comment to make about that was we, um, we recognise that God in Sydney had us working through Jeremiah 29 
Who loves Jeremiah 29, 11? Who, who knows that one? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for a future and a hope and a prosperity and a whole bunch of things. But where that verse starts, where that chapter starts, is it starts with when you go to the land where I've sent you in exile, this is what I want you to do. And what it says to do is when you go there, I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to get planted in that city. I want you to... Because Sydney felt a little bit like that for us. It was a bit like an exile because who knows, this is God's country. And, and <laughs> I'm not sure Sydney is, but, but, but it felt a little bit like that. But that verse goes on and say, plant vineyards, eat the fruit of them, have grandchildren, enjoy them. And just basically build family, build and just flourish wherever you are. And so we, we, we recognise that's exactly what God's been doing. And then after that, the very next verse before we even get to, you know, Jeremiah verse 11, it says, and when you get there and you've done all this flourishing and you've had grandkids and they're going to stop soon, I presume. If, I think you've stopped, so that's, that's good. But when, the, next, the very next verse says... I want you to work and pray for the peace and welfare of the city to which I've sent you. And so for Liz and I, that's certainly a reality. And so my Monday to Friday work is child protection in St George area of facts, 400,000 people. It's a lot of people with a lot of issues. And I'm finding seven months in, there's a great favour on what I'm doing, a great openness. The level of number of testimonies I could tell you about God doing stuff, even in a secular context, is incredible to the point now where I'm getting the, a lot of the too hard stuff. I'm becoming, Mark will solve it. Mark will do this. Mark will go into that situation. So I'm not saying that because I can just see there's a favour of God happening. So I, I think what we realised is that we thought we were going there to actually work with a struggling church. Actually, what we were going there to do is actually to minister to a dying city. And so we're not done with that yet. And I'm not sure done God's, what God's going to do in Sydney through us church-wise or not. No idea. But it's just an interesting season. So here we are. And if, if they do anything wrong, just tell us. We'll do it properly. We'll, we'll, we'll be nice to you. If they're not nice to you, we'll be nice to you. We'll stand at the gates like Absalom. No. <laughs> no we're, so anyway, I'm going to pray. We're going to get into whatever. And we're happy to talk more about it. There's so many funny stories about the last season. Seriously, I'm... Driving home from here the other a week or so ago, thinking, man, I can fill a book with the ridiculous things that happened in the last five years, and not all of them were my fault. So it's good. All right. So, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, you are refocusing us. We thank you in this moment, even, Father, you, we're actually poised for something. And at the beginning of something, Lord God, you're wanting to speak to us. So, Father, may we have ears to hear what it is that your spirit is wanting us to hear today as a church but also as individuals father we we lay ourselves before you open our hearts open our spirits father we just want to say that we're willing to hear what you have to say to us because we want to walk in all that you have for us we don't want to miss anything we want to grab hold of it all in jesus name amen i want to start with psalm 11 verse 3 better keep a bit of an eye on the time Psalm 11, verse 3. That's a pretty powerful sort of verse, isn't it? When the foundations are being destroyed, other translations say, when the foundations are broken, what can the righteous do? Am I the only one in here that sort of feels like there's some real foundations that are broken in our society at the moment? Do others feel the same, that actually 
this verse may well be speaking to some things that we're actually going through right now. These words were written 3,000 years ago, but they're actually lamenting the fact that, that when the social order breaks down, when some key foundations of society and life break down, what, what, how can anyone prosper? How can anyone do anything? And so here's this lament, and King David wrote this. Very solid sort of guy, King David. And he's, he's lamenting what was happening when, when society's foundations are broken. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. Do I have anyone that disagrees with the notion that there's some foundations that are broken? Does anyone disagree with that? If not, we'll, we'll keep going. So we're good? All right. So King David was a pretty solid guy. And so... Who knows God's not stupid? So if King David knew that, I suspect God in heaven knew that as well. So what does God do 3,000 years ago? He actually sets up a rescue plan. He, he puts in place something that's actually going to rectify this situation. He puts a, a plan in place that involves Jesus coming to earth that addresses what that issue was two minutes ago. It's, it's going to address that issue of the foundations in life being broken. So he says, I'll send Jesus, my son, the carrier of my heart, the one that I created everything through and for, and he'll fix the foundations because society's in a mess. What happened to my water? Did I um, left here? So, so God sends Jesus to fix whatever is messed up in society. All right, here we go. So track with me, I'm just going to probably speak for about half an hour this morning. I'm going to send Jesus to Israel under Roman occupation. We're going to get these foundations fixed. But Jesus comes into a society that's actually under an oppressive pagan government. It's crappy government. It's oppressive government. It's enslaved the whole nation. So God sends Jesus into this context where everything's just messed up. The people are enslaved, society's laws are being overruled by Roman law. Everything is messed up. If the foundations be broken, what can the righteous do? Jesus is born, lives for 30 years under these ungodly, Roman, pagan, oppressive laws. And then he starts his ministry. I want to ask a couple of questions here. According to the Bible account... How many days' work did Jesus do and put into changing those Roman laws? How many? None. How many days' work did Jesus do railing against the laws of the Roman government and wanting to see godly government established in Israel? None. Zero and zero. Could it be that there were more important issues and other foundations that need to be corrected more than establishing godly rules on the earth could it be that there was actually more at stake than making sure that society had the right laws in place could it be that for 1500 years Israel had lived under godly rules or longer given by God himself on the mountain of Sinai And so glorious were those rules on two two tablets of stone that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone. Such was the glory of those rules. What did those rules accomplish in 2,000 years? Nothing. Why are we so fixated, Christians, on trying to instill godly government in our nation? 
does not work. It does not actually change the foundations of society. If God's law, given on Sinai, couldn't do it, why do we think the Labour or the Liberals or Donald Trump's going to have any hope? Seriously. I think we need to think differently about what these foundations are that are broken. Because if we're looking for a political solution to a spiritual problem, we've lost our voice. If we're looking for a political solution to a spiritual issue, we've lost our voice. And I think we have. And that's why I'm talking on this today. In fact, someone directly asked Jesus. I'm going to get a little bit... What's the word? Combative this morning occasionally. I, I want to say actually, um, love some of the messages that have been coming out. Sarah's and uh, Lisa Gowans was a corker a few weeks ago. I'll come back to that in a minute. Colin, who enjoyed Collins? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, just sort of, sort of one to, to, with each other or something like that, whatever it was. One to another. What I do want to say is just when I heard Colin speak and the way he presented, I thought actually you've got a teaching gift, Colin. And that was a real blessing to the church to hear that gift just being expressed and actually building something into the church. It was really good. And one of the things Colin said is that there's a couple of metaphors for the church. One is that we're family and one is that we're body. You know, as part of a body, we all have a part to play. Everyone's important. We all do something. As part of a family, we're connected, we're relational. But there's two other metaphors. One is bride which I won't get into because that's a bit more esoteric. But the other one is army. And I believe in this season, the reason I think Sarah and Josh have been talking so much about unity and together and family and belonging and all taking your part is because we are meant in this season to be army. And it's a little bit different, isn't it? The metaphors around army, the types of ways that we interact with each other if we're also army as well as family. It's really interesting for Josh and Sarah and Liz and I because we're family um, and yet we're sort of together building the kingdom of God and so we're learning how to shift from this is family mode, this is network leader mode uh, and, and we've got to shift between those and we've got to be out of shift. So church, can I encourage us? May we recognise when we need to be family, like now. May we recognise when we need to be body, everyone contributing. But let's not miss the importance of, of stepping into army at the times when God needs us to. We'll come back to this in a minute. So Jesus got asked his trick question once. You know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Paraphrase. Should we obey the rules of the land or not? China, because they're so wrong. that We're oppressed. We're, we're, we're under Roman domination. And, and what did Jesus say? Just... Just, just give to the government what we give to the government, but let's just give to God what we give. Let's keep those two things separate. Let's not confuse politics and spirituality. Let's just do what we need to do with politics, but let's recognise actually there's a spirituality that we need to express here, and that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. So, an army has a mission, yeah? Has a campaign. And what's our mission as an army? It's to actually... Restore godly foundation because the foundations have been broken. Jesus knew it wasn't by installing godly laws to restore those foundations. It was by reaching down deep into the human soul to deal with the pride, the judgment, the darkness, the prejudice, the despair, the meanness. To have that destroyed by the power of forgiveness and to generate a new spirit within us. That's how the foundations of society get changed. 
It's not by creating anti-abortion laws or this, that or the other. It's actually by letting God regenerate something on the inside of us so we live a different way. Ezekiel eleven nineteen talks about that. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to take out that hard, callous heart of stone. Who's noticed that if we get a bit religious, we get a bit hard, a bit, bit argy-bargy, a bit argumentative? God said, no, 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 no. I'm going to put something soft on the inside of you. It, it, it's, it's, it's a new spirit. It's, it's, you're not going to think the same way you used to. You're not going to react the same way. You're not going to arc up the way you used to. Because there's a softness, there's a, there's a grace that lives on the inside of us. That's how Jesus came to restore the foundations of society. To put something on the inside of us. <laughs> you often hear Christians say this. We need God in our constitution. Yeah, who's ever heard some version of that? Yeah, we need, we need God in our constitution. We're a Christian nation. We need to make sure God stays in our constitution. God wasn't in the Roman constitution and yet the new church flourished and thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to know who Jesus was. So I wonder how important is God in our constitution? I'll just put that out there. The single greatest move of God in any nation on the earth in the 20th century, as far as numbers of people saved, was in which nation? China. How often is God mentioned in the Chinese constitution or articles of communism or whatever it is that they have? How many times? <laughs> None. What I'm, what I'm getting at here is are we thinking wrongly about what it means to restore the foundations of society because God did his greatest work of the 20th century in a nation that actually denied the existence of God because it wasn't about that. The Christian nations of the last three or four hundred years, you'd, you'd probably say Botswana. No, you wouldn't say Botswana. You'd probably say England and America. The most would you, yeah, godly, that's our view. Which were the nations that endorsed hundreds of years of slavery and bondage of African children? But God was written in their constitution. Weren't they godly nations? You need to think differently. We need to think, if we're looking for a political solution <laughs> to something that, that's actually spiritual, we've got, actually got it the wrong way. I'm making my point. I'm not being too provocative. I want us to think differently because I think we need to get on message, which is what my message is on about this morning. So, here's an interesting sort of thought. I've mentioned that. It makes, little dif makes very little difference whether God is mentioned in constitutions it makes all the difference if we have let him write his love on our hearts. It's not about plaques. It's not about God's name in the Constitution. It's got nothing to do with anything. It's irrelevant. It's actually about what is happening on the inside of us here. What do we carry? What did Jesus actually do? How did he correct the foundations? Well, we already said he didn't try and change laws. He never even prayed for a new government. His whole focus was on one thing, that a church would rise. That's why he came. He actually came to instill the church on the earth. It never existed before Jesus. 
So what is Jesus thinking when he says we need to correct the broken foundations of society? What is he seeing in his mind? What is he dreaming of? What is he planning? What is he working towards? What is he birthing? Church. 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 When the foundations are broken, the answer was to actually set up a church that says this about the church. Now I say to you, Jesus talking to Peter, this is in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Now in my mind, rock's a pretty solid foundation, don't you think? You are, your name is Peter and I will build my church on this solid foundation and all the powers of hell will not conquer it and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, church, Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Here's the authority. Instilled on the earth to see the foundations repaired. Here. So let's not be looking for some outside source, for something that actually God is wanting and called and birthed and died for his church to actually do and to be. So, we can focus on godly laws and fixate on those and go back to how things were when society was different, a bygone area of neat family, neat gendering, simpler issues. And all we really end up doing is we take us further and back to Sinai. That's all we end up doing when things were simpler when society was easier, when the rules were clearer, just taking us back to Sinai. It's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to build a church that the gates of hell would not be able to stand against. Oh, the glory days when Moses' face shone and he came down from the mountain. Oh, the glory of the law. All right, we'll come back to that in a minute. So let's set about seeing churches rise that are unified and have the power of a great Holy Spirit and are equipped to introduce men and women to a relationship with God that is written in their hearts. I get sick to death. I didn't swear. I get sick to death of, of people thinking Christianity is a moral code. What a load of bull dust. A moral code? That was the law 3,000 years ago. A moral code? We've reduced this incredible salvation to a moral code? Why? Do you know why? We've got so far off message that that's actually the message people are hearing from the church. I'm going to unpack that a little bit in a second. The church has the power of binding and loosing and yet we think godly laws will do that. <sighs> what is broken in our society? No legislation can fix i was um one of the families i work with um the mum has a history as a sex slave not a sex worker a sex slave that's her history there's a whole bunch of stuff going on it's been volatile it's, it's a whole <laughs> whole bunch of stuff now who would agree with me here according to the, the drugs are wrong who who, who does it you know, no, you know don't take ice is that do we agree with that? Oh, it's not a trick question. Do we think that's a good thing? Don't take ice? Would you, would you advise your children or your friends, don't take ice? 
would, it, would anyone actually say, knock yourself out? It's fun. Um, so, so, so we're agreed that, that that's, that's probably a, a, a pretty, good, pretty good law, a pretty good rule. Um, anyway, we, we interview, you know, when we first get to know clients, we interview them and we ask about drug history, mental illness, a whole bunch of stuff. And um, there we are. Or, you know, what about drugs? Well, yeah, I used to do ice. Um, wrong. Naughty girl. And then she said this. I didn't go... Um, <laughs> but the Bible says... Um, then she said this. She said, what I went through as a sex slave was so traumatic and was splintering the inside of me it was only ice that actually kept me sane. So let's not be too quick to throw the first stone or to apply easy morality on some situations where people are actually just in pain. Someone else said to me the other day, heroin kept me alive for 20 years. Why? Because the pain was so great and the damage was so great that they needed something to numb it until they could get help. I'm not endorsing taking drugs. I'm trying to give a perspective here on let's not, we're not the moral police. Some things are so damaging to the human soul, they splinter and they crack it. The only way to keep it together sometimes is to just escape whatever way you can. How absurd would it have been to remind her of law at that point? I could have, because here, I'm going to read it out to you. The law is glorious. You, you, I'm going to read this out to you, and you're going to be so inspired, you're just going to want, want to get up, and, and you, you're, going to, you're going to be incredibly motivated by what I'm about to read. What I'm about to read if you, is, is the Drug Misuse and Trafficking Act 1985 of New South Wales. Because the law is so powerful. Godly, godly laws, they make all the difference. Just let your spirit soar as I read these words to you. Because this is what I should have said to her with hindsight. I should have said, actually, this is what the, sex, this is what the law says. This is it. The New South Wales Drug Misuse and Trafficking Act classifies a wide range of drugs as prohibited drugs. The Act creates offences for the use of prohibited drugs, possession of prohibited drugs, supply and trafficking of prohibited drugs, cultivation and possession of prohibited plants, manufacture of prohibiting drugs, aiding and abetting and taking part. Offences involve prohibiting drugs, possession of drug use, influence the drugs that are prohibited, a cannabis and LSD and ice. Oh my goodness, didn't your spirit soar? Didn't it soar as that godly, right law just made something on the inside of us just explode with wonder? I'm, I'm being utterly ridiculous, I know. I, I know. But, but we do versions of that, church. We actually think that somehow that the law will actually do it, make a difference in a person's life. It won't. Romans 8.3 says this, and it's not me talking now, it's Paul, so you've got to, you've got to pay attention to him. The law of Moses was unable to save us. The law of Moses the can't save our society. It can't restore what's broken because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not Some translations say the law was powerless to do. What the law could not do, he sent his own son in a body like we sinners have 
And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. I don't know about you, but that does something to my spirit. The Lord does nothing. That does something to my spirit. It's, it's in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. It's in Jesus Christ that our life's foundations get re-established. And ultimately, it's, it's households get re-established in him. So, I mentioned this before. Sinai was glorious, incredible manifestation of God and what he wanted to do and yet ultimately it proved to be powerless because the law does not fix the ache. The law does not fix the ache. If you're religious, feel free to focus on the law. If you want to do that, that's, that's fine. If you want to make an issue out of gay marriage or drugs or whatever. But it's not going to fix the ache of society. It's not going to fix what's broken. But for us as a church, may we get to the ache. May we get beyond and get to the things that are actually causing people to be torn apart on the inside. (sighs) Let's get to it. For the thief on the cross, how relevant was the law? I love what Jesus said. I've stuffed up. Just be kind to me, Jesus, is what he's saying. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Where was the law? Where was repentance? Where was... Just, yeah, I, I love you. Come with me when I step into eternity today. This is it. We're not offering people morality or a system of belief. It's a relationship with God. How dare we look to government to fix what Jesus came for and died for? How dare we? The one that holds the keys is the church. You and I. May we rise. You know, and Josh and Sarah have been talking so much about unity and, and all those things. You know, Jesus refused to put anyone under law because he recognised that's the whole point he had to come. The, the law did nothing. It was useless. <laughs> Jesus refused to put anyone under law. Do you know how to identify a religious person? Two ways. The relationships around them are broken. And number two, they're always right. That's how you identify a religious person. Their being right trumps relationships. Their issues, their beliefs, their morality trumps relationship. And they're willing to break relationship to be right or to make a point or to win an argument. May we not be like that. If we get to the point where we're arguing like that, let's back away. It's not worth it. It's not worth breaking relationship. Let's, let's walk together with one another. So if the foundations are broken, the answer is the rising of the church. I'm probably going to try and wrap this up now in about 10 minutes. I love this. And I think this is a promise for some of us here in this context. Isaiah 58, verse 12. I think Lisa mentioned this a few weeks ago. Actually, I think some of you here, may this speak to your spirit. May it sit in your spirit today and go, yeah, that's me. Um, um, that's me. Some of you here will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. <laughs> then you'll be known as the rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. I think that's it. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, and we, if we don't get this, what happens is we get off message and we think abortion or marriage equality or drugs are the issue. 
You know, um, when Jesus walked the earth, people were by law allowed to own another person. Slavery was ingrained in the period of the time. How did Jesus and Paul address the great social ill of slavery? What laws did they try and change? What advocating did they do? What militancy did they go about doing? How did Paul say to handle this? If, if you've been treated so badly that you've been made a slave by this ungodly government, how should you handle this? Paul gives us the answer. And the answer sits in Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, here it comes. Here's the advocation. Here's the vindication. Here's the, come on, slaves of the world, unite. Let's make slavery great again. Sorry, it slipped out. Um, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them as sincerely as you would serve Christ. How did Jesus handle the greatest social ill of the time? He internalised it and said, we need to do something about it. We need to react and think differently about it. It needs to come out of here on the inside. And... Um, it's hard to convey this next bit. We can settle for the righteousness of the law or we can come to a greater understanding that you and I are now the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So we can settle for changing the constitution and the laws and whatever or we can actually understand more fully that because of Jesus, it's gone inside and we are now somehow magically, mystically, incredibly, the righteousness of God in Christ. That where you and I walk, made right as sons and daughters of God, there's an authority that we carry that no law can bring. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. I said before, I think we're a little bit off message, some of us, the church. And I'm going to mention Facebook in a minute. So gird your loins. Do women have loins or is it just a men thing? Swally, men and women both have loins? All right, that's good. So men and women, gird your loins. Um, what actually is a loin? No. <laughs> Inside there? Okay, all right. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Swelly. So, uh, um, <laughs> um, our mission... Is a message. Go into all the world and do what? Tell people everywhere. Our mission is a message. What's the best way to stop the mission? Corrupt the message. Because if we can take that same zeal that Christians use to share the goodness of God and his love and we can make them into a little bit of a Pharisee, like Paul, Saul, they're going to take that same zeal and they're going to just corrupt something and mess it up. So I think we have to get back on message. Because if we stepped outside of that, then how are people going to know who God really is and what is really needed? You know, um, I have to think long and hard at my current workplace. I've been there seven months. Am I boring anyone yet? No, no okay, cool. Um, been there seven... I've had to work long and hard because... First thing I tell people is I'm a Christian or I go to church or I'm a pastor or whatever. And I had to work really hard because in that, the, my field, 
that's anathema. That's that's up there with being a dentist, or 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 working for the tax office, which is my other jobs. I, I had the trifecta. I had last five years I've had tax office facts and pasta. I, it's such a long. Lisa's probably found the same. Such a long battle for credibility. Why? Because what the message that is conveyed by the church, intentionally or not, has so confused who we are and what we actually stand for. And um, I'll talk about that in just a second. And of course, right and wrong, morality, it's a wrong tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't want to go back to that tree. It brings death every time. Anyway. I had to think, what, what I actually want to say, because I work with a bunch of Muslims and whatever else and you know, burkas and the whole thing. And um, great people, probably the most fun people I've ever worked with because we share the same values. We all want to help people. And we might be different in a whole bunch of ways, but my goodness, what unites us is, you know, we'll come back to the office, another kid saved, they'll joke or say, or, you know, saving, saving the world one kid at a time. Or, and that's, that's um, it's a bit facetious, but it's actually, we carry that. That's, that's what we do, and we share that. And it, it actually unites us. Maybe in the church we even have a greater cause than facts. It's quite possible. So maybe, maybe that should actually unite us as well. But I have to think long and hard about what is my message because everyone at my work thinks that Christians are the moral police or they're just whacked. <laughs> and seriously, some of the clients we have who are Christians are whacked. I sit there going, oh my God, don't sit no, you're not. you're a Christian. Oh my God, oh no. Oh, don't be a Christian, don't be a Christian. Oh no. Um, anyway, that's, that's, another, that's another thing. Um, so what, I, what I've... And I had this conversation, I was asked the first time by a Palestinian lady the other day. She started the conversation by saying, can you explain to me why the Christians are so fixated on Israel and that they have lost compassion for the Palestinian people? She's Palestinian. Her family is in Palestine. And she goes there regularly and she sees what's happening on the ground. I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. But can you tell me why the Christian church is so fixated on supporting Israel in spite of cruelty to, to a whole group of people? It's a hard question. But anyway, the, um, the, when I distilled it down, this is what I said to her about what, what being a Christian is. I said, it's a relationship with God where he walks with me every day and I talk with him every day and he talks back to me and he guides me every single day. That's it. In a nutshell, distilled down. It's not a set of laws. Not even a set of beliefs, actually. There's a set of beliefs that attaches to my relationship with Liz, but it's not about the beliefs, it's about the relationship. Um, all right. All right, are we ready for Facebook? Are we, are we gonna, we gonna, should we go there or not? All right, we're ready? All right. All right, here we go. Um, I'm going to let you in a secret about Facebook. It's... A social network. It's for relationships. <laughs> it's not a theological platform. It's not a soapbox. It's a social network. Yeah? It's where we connect with one another. It's where we share what's in common. He's... Here's, um, here's an interesting thing. The danger of Facebook is this. I'm, I'm not visualising any person in my head. I'm not seeing any 
thread of conversation in my head. I'm making a general comment. Because where does most people in the world get their Christian input from? Facebook or the media. We can't control the media, but we can control Facebook. So let's actually get on message a bit more clearly with Facebook as well. Danger is this for Facebook. It gives every person with an opinion a platform. It's meant to connect, not to argue. Acts 2.42 is interesting, New Church, we love this verse. And they devoted themselves to four things, of breaking of bread and to prayer. The very first thing they devoted themselves to was what? The apostles' teaching. Why was that important? It got them on message. It got them on message. So now what happens is that you have a whole bunch of people putting out a whole bunch of weird messages on Facebook that bear no resemblance to the gospel. (laughs) There's a reason not everyone speaks up here. But anyone can say whatever they like on Facebook. And please don't say things that bring the church or God into disrepute or the gospel into disrepute. So Peter and company thought, "Let's, let's get united on our message and now let's go and reach the world. Let's get united with the same message. We're clear about what it is. Let's go and reach the world. That's why people are angry at the church. It's exactly why they're angry at the church. They see stupid and judgmental stuff through the media or on Facebook. I don't even go this far. Sometimes people won't have a bar at church because of what we write on Facebook. I think it's actually true. I can't, can't be any clearer than that. There's a beautiful, that's, that's, the, that's the low point. Is it Nadia? Is that what you call it, the low point? N-A-D-I-R, is that what that is? I don't know. Adam? <laughs> Mr. Google, were <laughs> you awake? Yeah. All right. Yes. Actually, I'm going really long today. I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. Um, beautiful simplicity. Um, Revelation, first church Jesus spoke to, he said... Um, as Ephesians again, I think you've lost your first love. I think you've lost your first love. In a church that had lost its first love, I wonder what they were telling each other and talking about with each other. In a church that had lost its first love, I wonder what message people were hearing. Because if you strip love out of the foundation of who God is and what he's done for us, you get some other message. And so for Ephesus, I wonder, what were they agreeing over? What were they talking about? What did the gospel look like if you take that love out of it and you just settle for a lesser love and you live out of that and you relate out of that and you communicate with the outside world? I wonder, wonder what that would look like. Lynn mentioned this this morning. I didn't have this in my notes. She just said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And I wonder, in all our posturing and all our opinions, that maybe somewhere in there we've lost something of that love that is meant to frame how we interact and interrelate to each other. For God so loved that he gave. May we never forget the prodigal. May we never forget the picture it painted of how God sees us. May we never forget the picture it paints of how God sees people outside of these four walls. Yeah, they might be addicts, they might be this, they might be whatever. It doesn't make any difference. The Father comes running. Every single lost 
person. May we never forget that picture. And may we never try and construct morality around that. It's vile. It's repulsive. May we not do that. So what's the message that we should be united on? That you can be dying on a cross and feeling dirty and yet God can take you that day into paradise. You can be naked in the lowest place you've ever been in your life, rolling in the dirt, and God will lift you up. That you can be full of shame and God wants to lift it off you. You can see no future, but God sees one for you. And I think sometimes we think about the things that God can do, but I'm not saying that God can do those things. I'm saying he wants to do those things because that's love. The other one's just power. God can do something. That's just power. It's agency. But he wants to. That's love. So he wants you to prosper and flourish in all your ways. He wants every bit of guilt and shame that you've ever carried to be gone. He wants the broken areas of your life that are splintered and hurt to come together again. He wants the broken areas in your relationships to be. He wants that for you. Because that's love. Because that's love. So let's not get caught up in what God can do. Whatever. It's what God wants for you and for I that is so incredible. So you want to talk about God's righteous anger or the unjust laws of society? Fine. Go set up a private Facebook group and knock yourselves out. People who don't know the love of God won't stumble over the dumb stuff that we say on Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm a bit fired up today. Passive-aggressive. You notice that sort of passive. Because um, every day, and like many of us here, I'm dealing with sin and shame and pain and addiction and trauma and kids getting hurt and parents are in pain. And the message that we carry has been lost. I deal with it every day. May the church not be impotent in this season. And I think... Um, few weeks ago those haven't listened to it Lisa Gowan's message about three or four weeks ago it was incredible it was a holy moment when Lisa not quite as holy as you just got a bit of a notch above but it was quite a holy moment when Lisa finished I know it was holy there's a couple of reasons I know this your senior pastor said bloody hell from the pulpit number one <laughs> not this one the other one uh, and, and he sw- and he um and he cried but it was a holy moment I think actually I think today and four weeks ago need to be listened to and understood together because I think that's the mandate, the mission and the message that God is wanting us to actually unite over afresh again. So let's just stand and wrap it up now. Maybe close your eyes if you're happy to do that or don't have to. Do you remember what it felt like when the weight first got lifted off when the darkness first left the shame disappeared tell people about that do you remember what it was like when you felt the first time you were loved tell people about that remember when you were filled with the spirit and you were so full of God it just overflowed out of you clean and pure tell people about that tell them that once you were blind but now you see tell them once you were lost but now you are found Jesus came to call his lost sons and daughters home this is a message we need to be speaking this is a message we need to be living 
I think we've got many people convinced God is against them. But the message is that God wants them free and whole, full of purpose, flourishing and prospering. And that's the message. And if you're not yet a Christian or you're new to the faith, it takes a while to understand how incredibly God will work in you if you let him. When you ask God for forgiveness, he gives you his Holy Spirit, a power and a love on the inside of you that brings strength, brings hope, brings connection. One step at a time, I can promise you, you will be rebuilt. He guides you. We learn to hear his voice. We start doing things we never thought we'd be able to do. If you're addicted now, you won't be in the future. If you're fearful now, you won't be in the future. Because God has not given you and I a spirit of fear, but a spirit that brings love, power and a sound, clear mind. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be confused anymore. God will speak to you and he will help you make sense of the world and everything that's happened to you. For me, everything makes sense now. Everything makes sense. Last verse, Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, God is able once and forever to save to the uttermost, absolutely and completely, those who come to God through him. And he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. We've heard about the power of a paying grandmother. Here is Jesus himself filling heaven with his prayers all the time for you and I, that we prosper in all of our ways. May we never forget what a great salvation that we have inherited. Wow, so, so good. Thank you, Dad. And I could just cry over what Dad said. Um, just said that so well. What I know it's our heart, but you just articulate it so beautifully. And, you know, our heart as a church has always been to reach people who don't know God and who are in brokenness and pain. And it, it does grieve us so much when what we have devoted our life to and what we work so hard to do to break down walls between um, God and people. And then the religious Christians do so much damage. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Let's just give Dad a hand for delivering that so beautifully. And maybe there's a lot of food for thought in there. Maybe there's some stuff to go home and wrestle with and ponder and process and just unpack for all of us. And um, I don't know exactly where to go from here. But I know for Josh and I, in our experience dealing with people, often the people who struggle the most just to receive the love and the grace of God are actually people who have grown up under law, maybe in more, I guess, religions that are a bit more law-focused and oppressive. And it's so hard for people to break out of that because that's what they have been raised in. And maybe there's actually people here this morning who have felt that maybe you've become or you've been a victim to law, to religion, and you're actually struggling in your mind to receive the love and the grace of God that Dad spoke about so beautifully. And maybe if that is you and you love someone just to pray with you, please do come out the front. I might just get Dad to finish by praying for us though before you go and we're going to sing. What else do you want to say? Cool. Thank you. So yeah, so just if you, if you do want extra prayer or actually want to be introduced to this love that I'm here talking about, there's a person, Jesus, come. We'll pray for you. I'm going to pray for all of us now because I think we all get crusty, don't we? We all get the dust of the journey. We all get, just lose some of that wonder, some of that first love. 
So if that's any of us, I'm just going to pray that that we just need to sorry God, because what it says next, if you know you've lost your first love, next verse, repent. So so if you need to, just God, I'm sorry. I recognise I've I've got a bit old, tired, crusty, hard, lost some grace. So Lord Jesus, for any of those that recognise. Any of us that recognise that's the case. Father, I just thank you for refreshing from your Holy Spirit now. You say the truth sets us free, and we know that's true. So may your truth, little truth bombs, just fall into hearts now. Little convictions, little, come on, let's just shift this a little bit. Let's do this a bit differently. Actually, have you thought about how this connects to this? Maybe we could, you could think differently about that from now on. So, Father, for all of us, may you do the work that only you can do with your incredible tenderness, incredible love and incredible power. Father, we want to be clay, moulded by your hand. So, Father, we want to return to our first love and let you shift and change us to make us into who you need us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. We might just sing. And if you'd like to have prayer, please come up.